Lord has blessed us with another opportunity to be together to worship, and we're thankful to Him for that. Grateful for Your presence, and I add my word of welcome to our visitors as we are very thankful that You're among us. I'd like you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock as we have another worship planned then. And any questions or comments that you'd like to, to ask about what we teach or practice, we'd be very happy to receive those. We want to follow God's Word uh, in faith, trusting that His way is right, and that by living His will, we'll have His blessings now and throughout eternity. And so if you're visiting and you're not a Christian, or you're one here who's not yet obeyed the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we encourage you to think seriously about that opportunity that you have this morning to be saved from your past sins and to be added by the Lord to His church, uh, to uh, devote yourself to being a disciple of Jesus every day of your life. We hope that will be your decision. And we want to encourage you this morning to confess your faith and to repent of your sins and to be baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins. We encourage each of us as God's people that we will carefully listen to God's Word for us, His children, His people, that we will conform our hearts and lives to it and when we find sin that we'll repent of it ourselves that we might be right in His sight. I appreciate the reading from Leviticus chapter 18, verses 24-30 as, as we've entitled our lesson, Don't Get Mixed Up, because it becomes clear in this text and in, in the Old Testament that Israel uh, became mixed up. Uh, Israel mingled with the nations around them. God gave commandments here, very clear commands and warnings to Israel to not mix and mingle with the nations that God was driving out before them in the land of Canaan. They were to remain morally pure, verses 24 and 25 of Leviticus 18 says, don't defile yourself with any of these things. And he had enumerated many of the sinful things of the peoples, of the nations, moral corruptions that existed. He said by doing so, uh, the land is vomiting out the people that, that, uh, that now uh, you are going to uh, take the place of in the land of Canaan. So don't, defi- don't, uh, don't defile yourself. Remain morally pure in these things. If you obey, you will be blessed. But if you do not obey me, he says, if you defile yourself with these abominations, then you too will be punished. He says there in 26 through 29, he says, Lest, for example, of 27, I'm sorry, for all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Israel was not to begin, begin to think among them, by, uh, of themselves that God had, had so chosen them and planted them in the land that regardless of what they did, that they would stay there. No, God says, whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them will be cut off from among their people because you are to keep My commandments, He said in verse 30, so that you do not commit these abominations and do not defile yourself by them. I am the Lord your God. God expected them to uh, separate themselves, to not mix and mingle with those nations. And yet, Israel did that very thing. 
Israel mingled with, mixed with the peoples of, uh, of the land, and it became their undoing. They became defiled, and they fell away. Turn with me to Psalm 106, please. In 34 and following, there are 34 through 43 is a passage we'll, we're going to come back to a little bit later uh, in this text and in this lesson. But notice here about Israel. It says they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. The blood, the, uh, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against His people so that He abhorred His own inheritance. And He gave them into the hand of the Gentiles and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. They were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times He delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Time and time again, Israel mingling with the people that God said destroy, they didn't destroy them. They took their gods. They took their lives, lifestyles. They took their values. They were punished for that. And still, time and again, they continued to rebel against God. In Hosea's prophecy, in Hosea chapter 7 and in verse 8, he said, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Ephraim mixed with the nations and so was useless. A cake unturned, burn on one side, uh, uncooked on the other. It was good for nothing because they mixed themselves with the peoples of the land. In chapter 8 and 7, familiar text, it says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal if it shall produce aliens would swallow it up. Israel was swallowed up by their enemies because Israel mingled with the nations, defiled themselves in sin, and fell under God's punishment. You know, we go to the New Testament and we find the New Testament gives similar commandments and warnings to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is one uh, such passage in verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he goes on in that passage to say, What, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He says we have no communion, no participation, no commonality, no accord, no harmony uh, with, with the devil and his cohorts, those who are unbelievers with unrighteousness that they participate in. And so he says, don't be unequally yoked with. Don't put yourself in uh, a relationship with unbelievers with the world that would dominate you and draw you from the fact that 
You are the temple of the living God. Verse 16. As God has said, I'll dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Like He told Israel, do not mingle with. He says, come out and be separate. And do not touch what is unclean. And I'll receive you. And I'll be the father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Just like God told Israel, don't defile yourself, obey my will, and be blessed. Defile yourself and you'll fall under condemnation. He tells us, Come out and be separate. Do not mingle with sin. Do not unequally yoke yourself. Because you see, we're to perfect holiness. We're to complete and mature our holiness in the fear of God. Not in compromise with and joining in with the world. Don't befriend the world, James said in James 4th chapter. He said uh, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Who therefore would be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Don't befriend the world. Don't love the world, John said. First John 2 and 15. Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not a sum of both. He says it's one or the other. Don't love the world. Now here's the sad thing is because like Israel, Christians, we Christians can mingle with the world and become defiled and fall away. Israel is an example to us of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 goes into detail discussing that in that way. In 1 Timothy 4, remember the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So he describes there those who would step away from, fall away from the faith, being deceived, and accepting lies and speaking lies rather than standing in truth. In Jude, we're told to contend earnestly for the faith. In Jude, verse 3. And then in Jude, the fourth verse, Jude says to, to, that, uh, that uh, certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as Israel turned their obedience to God into lewdness as they accepted the idols and as they attempted to use the images and idolatry of the land to worship Jehovah and add to that Baal worship and other false gods. He says, even in the first century, there were those who were turning God's grace, the grace of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, into lewd behavior, into sinful conduct that denies our God and our Lord. It's just like Israel. Christians did and can and continue at times to defile themselves and fall away. The remedy is radical repentance. Radical repentance. 
The remedy was not, well, just, you know, you're, you're, you're living there among the Canaanites, so, you know, they got a few good ideas. You can, you can kind of adapt yourself to, to, to their culture. You know, that's how Catholicism spread through the ages, wasn't it? Catholicism would go into a place and they, they would uh, start uh, pro- uh, promulgating their, promoting their, their gospel and, and they would, they would uh, accommodate the customs of the, of the land and, and try to accommodate their faith to it. And so they would, they would try to draw people to the church, to their gospel, by, by um, assimilating the cultures uh, of, of the particular region. So what do you have? You have a you have a conglomeration of all kinds of of accommodations and compromises of error and sinfulness, all in the name of Jesus. Well, God didn't tell Israel to do that. He doesn't tell Christians to do that. He doesn't tell us to do that today. His answer was radical repentance. If we find ourselves mixed up with and mingled with the world. Matthew 5, 29 and 30, in talking about citizenship in the kingdom of God, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. He's using a hyperbole. This is an exaggerated form of speech to emphasize his point, to remove whatever obstacle exists so that you can be true to God and pure in your life. Is more profitable, he says, for one of your members to perish than your whole body be cast into hell. He's not literally saying pluck out your eye because bless your heart, you know it's not the eye that that is is the root of a lust of the eye. It's the heart. So he says you got to, but he says you got to radically change everything about you yourself and get rid of anything that hinders you in order to. Escape hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. I don't see many of us walking around with one hand. But I hope we've been obeying this commandment. Because you see, it's hyperbole that says remove whatever obstacle exists, whatever is very dear to you. You've got to get rid of it if it causes you to mix and mingle with sin. Otherwise, you lose your soul. You, you lose everything. Now, the Old Testament illustrates this on a number of occasions, and one of them is in Ezra chapter 9. Because in Ezra, the ninth chapter, you remember that Israel had, after their captivity and return from their, uh, their uh, Babylonian captivity, that, that, that as the decades transpired, they began to marry again, mix and mingle again with the peoples of the lands. The Levites have not, the priests and Levites, it says the people of Israel, Ezra 9 1, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. With respect to the abominations of the Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and Jebusites and Ammonites and Moabites and Egyptians and Amorites, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of the lands. Now, that was important to note because you see, God had said don't do that. Chapter 10, the remedy was what? Well, now you're married, just make the best of it. Not what it said. 
Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all those wives and those who have been born to them, that be their children, according to the advice of my Master and those who tremble at the commandment of God and let it be done according to the law. He said you're going to have to have some radical repentance to remove yourself, separate yourself from sin and its impact upon you. The remedy always when it comes to the matter of sin is repentance. And repentance is radical. Repentance is not half-hearted. It's, it's all in. It's a change of heart. It's a change of how we value and how we then speak and act and live. So, the warning this morning is let's don't mix up. Let's don't get mixed up with the world. Even evil companionships corrupt good morals. Don't be deceived, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15.33. You see, mixing holy standards and unholy standards always dilutes and destroys and it never purifies. Let's go back to Psalm 106. 106th Psalm and see with me here that, that there's a fundamental problem that existed and it displayed itself by failing to drive out the enemy. Remember 34 and 5, they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. They didn't drive them out. They didn't destroy them. Deuteronomy 7, God had said to Israel, you're not to marry them. You're not to take their sons or daughters. Uh, but instead, he says, "You are to show, you are to make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them." He says, verse six. The reason he says, "You are a holy people." Okay, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure among all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor chose you because you are more in number than than any of those peoples. He said, but because the Lord loves you and He would keep His oath to the fathers. They had a fundamental responsibility under the law, under God's covenant, that they were, verse 2 of that 7th chapter, to utterly destroy them. They were to go into the land and utterly destroy. They were not to make covenants. They were not to make marriages. They were not to show mercy. Think about that. Make no, he says, show no mercy. To them. Why? Because this was God's judgment. This is God's punishment upon a people whose, whose cup was now full, who had defiled the land, and the land was going to vomit them out. And Israel was going to be God's instrument of punishment. So execute the punishment. But they didn't. After the generation of Joshua, uh, came and gone after that that generation died another generation arose up and the book of judges begins by telling us repeatedly that they did not drive out the peoples of the land in judges 1 beginning for example in 27 of judges actually judges 1 yes 127 Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages drop on down uh, all through that text Time and time again, the tribes did not drive out the peoples and they became a snare to Israel. It led to Israel's sin. 
in doing the very thing God said not to do, don't mingle with the nations. You see, our cost of discipleship demands that we pay the price that must be paid to be sure that we don't mix with sin that's around us. Luke 14th chapter, Jesus said in verse 26, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, in his own life also, he can't be My disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. That, that's radical. That's radical. That's not how the world wants us to think about following Jesus. The world has its images, has its idols, has its offerings. The world tells us we can, we can, you can serve you God, just don't be so radical. Don't be so exclusive. Come on and join us. Be like we are. That was the problem with Israel that they fell into. God warned them. God warns us. Jesus says, you're going to follow Me? Then you cannot mingle with. He said, you got you got to set a priority. you got to love Me more than those who are closest to you in life. you got to love Me more than your, your life itself. you got to love Me more than anything you possess. He goes down a little bit farther in verse uh, what, uh, 33. Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, so we got, we've got, it is a radical thing to be a disciple of Jesus. And the world says, don't be so radical. And it'll all be good. Don't be so radical and it'll all be good. But when you start getting radical, then, then, then uh, boy, you, just, you just cause a lot of trouble. Well, now see, the trouble is when we refuse to not mingle with those things that are sinful. Joshua 23. As nearing the end of Joshua's life, you go back and, and look what, what uh, God has Joshua say to the people there nearing the end of his life. He said in Joshua 23.6, Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. So it's going to take courage to keep the law, to not mingle with the nations around you, Israel. You're going to have to have courage not to turn from, to the right hand or to the left. And lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. They had followed the leadership of Joshua. They had held fast to God's name. Now he says you're going to have to keep holding fast. You're going to have to have courage not to begin to mingle with the nations. When they lessened their faith, they lost their courage, they compromised with the nations, they sinned against their God, defiling themselves in sin and immorality and in idolatry, in injustices, until finally the land vomited them out. And so you and I need to learn the same principle the same application that if we don't drive out the enemy from the start, 
then we set ourselves up for failure. See, part of becoming a Christian is repentance. That, that, that amounts to driving the enemy out, changing our heart. So our life conforms to the will of Jesus and standing fast in that changed heart of discipleship. Now let's go back to Psalm 106 for a minute. And, and I'd like for you to see with me there, let's just see some of the problems that, that arose because they mixed their allegiances uh, there with the nations that were around them. Um, back up in that chapter to about verse seven, 6 and 7. What happens when we begin to mix allegiances? Well, fundamentally, one thing happens is we forget God's mercies. When we forget about the mercy of God in our life, then, then we condition ourselves to become like those who are not in the mercy of God. Verse 6 of 106 Psalm, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. They didn't remember the mercy of God. Quickly they forgot. Well, we've got to remember the mercies of God if we're going to not mix up with the world. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, the wholly acceptable sacrifice of ourselves as living sacrifices, offerings to God, is based upon the mercy of God. By the mercies of God, we're to give ourselves as offerings to Him. When we forget the mercy of God, we condition ourselves to mingle with the world. Got to remember mercy that we have. Got to hold that in regard and honor and respect that God has shown great mercies to us, and not be like Israel who forgot the mercies of God. How soon they forgot the plagues that released them from bondage. They rebelled. They rebelled time and again. Drop down to verse thirteen. When we forget God's works and refuses counsel. We begin to mingle with the world. They soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They were not filled. Their bodies were filled, but their souls were famished because, you see, continually they forgot His works. They didn't wait for God. They lusted and said, we've got to have it and we've got to have it now. And we're tempted to do the same thing. Instead of waiting on the Lord, being patient to do His will, we, we, we begin to look out around us and see all these people that seem to be prospering and benefiting and, and they have no care, they have no trouble, it seems. And so we begin to compromise with them. Begin to, begin to mingle with it and try to bring those things into what it means to be a Christian. No, Israel forgot God's work. They didn't wait on His counsel. Remember, 40 days, just 40 days. God's giving Moses His law from on the mountain. They couldn't wait 40 days before they made a, a calf and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. 
driven by lust rather than humble repentance and humble honoring of God led them in sin and it will us as well. We've got to remember the works and wait on of God and wait on the counsel of God. Drop down to verse 19. You see, when you forget the mercies of God and, and you forget the thing God things God has done for you, you eventually forget God. Verse 19. Let me get back over there. Verse 19 says, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore He said He would destroy them had not Moses, His chosen one, stood before Him in the breach to turn away His wrath lest He destroy them. They forgot God. You see, when we don't remember His mercy, when we don't wait on His counsel, when we don't acknowledge His works, then we, where, else, where else is there to go except to forget God? Romans 1 verse 28 talks about people who refuse to retain God in their knowledge. When somebody refuses to keep God in their knowledge, God gives them up to those decisions. He doesn't agree with them. He doesn't approve of them. God will let you, God will let you destroy yourself if you refuse to keep Him in your knowledge. That's why we must ever be vigilant to keep before us the Word of God, the truth of God. We do that in part by remaining thankful and obedient. You see, in that 106th Psalm, in 24 and 25, look at these points. They despised the pleasant land. They did not believe His Word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore He raised up His hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. It happened in the wilderness. It happened once they got into the land of promise because they were unthankful they were disobedient. They despised the, the pleasant land. They despised the blessing. Do you despise the blessing of being a Christian? Do we, do we forget those blessings? The, the devil wants us to forget. But when we do, then the shiny object over here gets our attention. We just got to avoid that. We've got to keep being thankful and obedient because we cannot serve two masters. Two masters serving two is impossible. Joshua told Israel that there before his death. He said, Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Make a decision. Verse 14, he said, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that your father served across the, on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You know, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Within a generation, they've done just that. So we cannot serve two masters. We cannot mix up with that which is unholy. 
Well, the practical applications are pertinent. They're real. They're personal. They uh, are too numerous to name in this lesson. You see them on our outline. We've made just a few of them. We just heard, we just quickly make the points. These are not new points to be made, but they're important ones to remember. You see, if we mix up sexual purity with the world's corrupt views, then we lose our souls. We lose our distinctiveness. We're warned about fornication. We're warned about lewdness, uncleanness. Ephesians 5. See, the world, the world thinks talking about those kind of things is just stupid. <laughs> it's foolish. He says, but, but the Bible says all, he says fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as befitting, as is fitting for saints. Nor filthiness, nor foolish talk or jesting or which are not fitting, but rather giving the thanks. When we mix up moral and sexual purity for the world's corrupt views of sexuality, then, then we have fallen right into the same trap and sin of ancient Israel. You know, you see these mingled values in such things as choosing to wear immodest clothing. We're taught to wear modest clothing shame, with shamefastness and sobriety with moderation, with discretion and purity. When we allow the world to define our clothing and lack thereof, then we've mingled with the world. And we need to give attention to being careful that our clothing shows godliness, not the world. It does matter what you wear because it shows what your heart is. Always has. That's not a new concept. When we mingle with the indecent entertainments of the world, then how can we say we're not a part of the world? You know what John said? Do not love the world. He said the things that are in the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it occurs to me that isn't that exactly what people are entertained by in music? and movies, and television, and you name the entertainment, the dances of the proms that the kids have, and the parents have for their kids, and the parents who say, well, we're going to have a drinking party at home for the kids, that way we'll, they'll, they'll be under our, our oversight. Indecencies. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those things are very often the core of the entertainment that's out there in the world. Now, are we willing to cut that hand off? Or are we so proud to say that doesn't affect us? Maybe like Israel is so proud to say, we're the people of God. God chose us. That's not going to bother us. Before you know it, they're sitting down with the Baal worshippers. Now, is it any different really? Is it really any different? Secret sins? Secret sins. No harm, no foul. No. Much harm. Many fouls. Whether it's the sin of pornography or any other sin that we try to hide. You know, we often we try to hide our sins. But they'll find us out. We have to be willing to 
Radically repent. Radically repent. That's the remedy. We've got to be pure in our hearts and in our actions, in our clothing and entertainment, privately and publicly. Say, we simply cannot mingle with the world without conforming to it and violating God's will that says, come out and be separate from it. We all must examine ourselves in these areas of application. What about mixing drinks with the world? We've talked about this some. I won't take much time here. But you know, there's Christians who want to mix, mix drinks with the world. The Bible says don't start. Don't begin to get drunk. That is, don't start the process. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Don't start the process. You never get to the drunk stage. He says, don't look at it when it's red in the glass. Proverbs 23, 29-32. But here's the fundamental point. 1 Peter 4, he makes the, the contrast. We're now to do the will of God, not the lusts of men. That's his contrast in that text. As he warns against drunkenness, lasciviousness and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, he says it's because, you see, we committed ourselves to suffer in the flesh because we do the will of God, not the lusts of men. And we're willing to accept the ridicule and mockery of men who think it's strange that you don't run with them to the same extent of waste and riot. And they'll speak evil of you. But we're willing to accept that because we do the will of God, not the will of men. Got to make the practical application. And sometimes the remedy of that is radical repentance. We've got to radically repent if we've been driven by the lusts of men rather than the will of God. Got to pluck out the eye, cut off the hand to conform ourselves to God's will in our hearts and therefore in our lives. When we mix the gospel with the gospels of the world, we do the same thing. In Galatians 1, there were some mixing the gospel with false gospels. They're, they were corrupt. They would bring God's curse. Galatians 1, 6-9, take you out of God's grace. Turn God's grace into lewdness. John or Jude 4, go beyond the doctrine of Christ. To the, we no longer have God. False gospels, different gospels. And you don't have God. And yet... Christians seemingly, at least some, seemingly it's, it's not a big deal anymore. And so they mix and mingle with even how to be saved. There's some who, who now are not, not standing fast even on how to be saved. They're willing to accept those who have a sincere faith even though that sincere faith is not according to the faith revealed in the Gospel. They're still lost in their sin unless they've obeyed the Gospel plan of salvation. But, you know, who are we to judge? What happens? So we end up, so churches end up accepting people and accommodating and acknowledging people and comforting people in sin who are lost. Shouldn't be. What about, you know, mixing true worship with the worship the world offers? There's a real parallel here with Israel. The rituals of, of people today, the, the, the feast days, the candle lighting, whatever you want to call do it and call it worship. Somebody seems to be doing it these days. But that doesn't make it true. That doesn't make it acceptable. We've got to follow the Word of God on how to worship Him. 
and of course in holy living in the same way. It takes radical repentance, brethren, to, to address these things in our lives. To, say, to be able to assess from God's Word, am I really saved or just do I think I'm saved? And to help people who think they're saved come to the Bible to find out if in fact they're really saved or they've been deceived by false gospels. People who believe they're giving God true worship, but is it conformed to God's word of worship? Or have we mixed and mingled with the false worship, called it true, and feel comfortable in it? That, that's not going to please God. It never has. If, if that kind of a thing pleases God, then why was He so upset at Mount Sinai? Why was He so upset with Israel? when they brought the Baal worship and the Asherah and all the other paganism. Oh, you see, radical repentance means a return to Bible authority, to the Bible Gospel, not the Gospels of men. Well, And so, don't get mixed up. Israel paid a heavy price for her sins, for neglecting her blessings, for mingling with the nations around her. In Hebrews, the second chapter, we're warned. And we close with this passage. We're warned to learn, learn the lesson. He said, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to things we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, he's talking about that Old Testament law, if that was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, and we've seen it did, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first was spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. How are we going to escape? Israel didn't. The point is, we won't either. We won't either. And so, the call of the Gospel is to repent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17 and verse 30. And so that call is to each of us to examine whether or not we're in the faith. If we're not in the faith, we need to repent. We need to change our heart this morning and obey the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Confess our faith and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. And He'll, he'll save you. But, but the demand of discipleship is to put Him first. To be devoted to Him. Not mingle with the world. Christians, we find that we've mingled values practices of the world, then let's repent. Radically repent so that our heart and our life conform to truth. We can help you do that. We urge you to respond to God's call while we stand and sing.